Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Lord, as we now open the word, as we begin uh, the sermon, and as we're about to participate in the emblems, Lord, we pray that you would be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. There once was a man who was a lawyer, and he lived in, I believe it was Charlotte, North Carolina. This man was a collector of fine things, according to him, and he purchased several apparently very nice cigars. And when he purchased them, he had them insured. They were so expensive, he wanted to make sure that they would uh, make sure that he would get the full value of them. And one of the things that he insured them against was, believe it or not, fire. Within a month, he had finished smoking all of these cigars. His whole entire stockpile gone. But he smoked them all before his premium payment took into effect. And before he could, the, the insurance could do anything, he filed a claim. And the claim was such that they were lost in a small series of fires. Well, naturally, did the insurance want to pay? No. However, the judge ruled with the man. What? Travesty. How could this happen? So, the, uh, the, as the judge, he did agree that it was a frivolous claim. However, as uh, he put it, uh, they, did not, uh, they did not note what was considered unacceptable fire. And so they were obligated to pay. So they paid him. They paid him $15,000. And we think, travesty, how could this happen? Well, justice did prevail. So the insurance uh, company then fought back, and the man was arrested for 24 counts of arson. And with his own insurance claim and all of the defense that he had uh, brought forth, he then uh, realized that all of that was used against him. So not only did he lose, he... he he had to pay over $24,000. He had to give all the money back, plus pay an additional $9,000 back. Intentionality. This man intentionally tried to defraud the, uh, or try to go against the insurance claim. Of course, we realize too, when you try to do something bad, we pray that good hopefully prevails. Amen. By the way, I'm not, uh, I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, why are you talking about smoking? I am not saying smoking's okay, all right? <laughs> but uh, we find intentionality. Jesus lived with intentionality, but the intentionality that he lived with was good intentionality. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a big shift in Jesus' ministry in chapter 8. Prior to, we Realized Jesus started his ministry. He's, he ministered amongst the people of Galilee. And then last week, 
uh, Bill did a great job of sharing how Jesus not only ministered to the people in Galilee, but across the lake, to the Decapolis, to the Gentiles. God's salvation is not just for the Jews, but for everyone. Amen? And so in chapter 8, 31, there's a big shift, and we find here that Jesus is going to make some pretty big, bold declarations right before Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we find that later on, there's a transfiguration where Peter, James, and John are with him, and they go up on a high hill, and they're all alone, and, and there's a, a cloud that appears, and there's a voice that says, this is my who? Son, whom I love. Listen to him. The father acknowledges who the son is. And there, suddenly, when they looked around, no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. And, and later on, we find in verse 14, Jesus heals a boy who's possessed by an impure spirit. Jesus predicts his death several times. And then Jesus then shares a couple of parables, being mindful of, hey, be careful, do not stumble. In chapter 10, Jesus talks about divorce. And then finally, the importance of little children. He blesses these children. He talks about the rich in the kingdom of God. And then also heals blind Bartimaeus. He gives him back his sight. And then... He has to deal with the disciples, James and John. They make that special request that it's in the majority of the Gospels where they want to have a special seat right next to Jesus. But here we find what we're going to focus on is, is one part specific that is pretty much uh, dominates this portion from uh, eight, uh, in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And that is... Jesus predicts his death how many times? Three times. So let's go to Matthew, sorry, Mark, oh, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Mark 8, verse 31. And let's read this in the context of right before, actually, in 27. He asks the disciples, who do people say I am? And, and uh, some said, oh, you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, some, one of the prophets. And then he asked the disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And right after that, he tells him, hey, please, okay, don't tell anybody. Remember, we're talking about the messianic secret. Jesus can be kind of uh, mysterious and kind of secretive. All of that is now going to get flipped over. And in verse 31, he says, he then began to teach them, and the Son of Man must suffer many what? things and be rejected by who the elders the and the teachers of the law are these important people what was their job what did they do they led the people so they're in charge and these individuals jesus is saying is going to go after him and that he must be killed and after three days rise again he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him to side, and what does he do? What does Peter actually have the gall to do? Tries to rebuke him. He says, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So there's a lot happening. Jesus, this is the first prediction 
of his death. Prior to, he was secretive. Now he is throwing the gauntlet down and he's especially starting with the most important people that he's been dealing with, his followers, his disciples, the 12 people he has become so close to in the last three years. But it also, Jesus is going to allude to the fact that his next part of his life is going to be that of suffering. And even the disciples, they're going to suffer. They're going to be persecuted. And that's intentional because Mark is trying to encourage those early believers who are also experiencing great persecution. It's not just them who experience persecution, but Jesus and also the disciples. There's a phrase here that has been consistent that we will read, and it's called the Son of Man. We've talked about this. This is a theme in the Gospel of Mark, but actually all of the Gospels. In fact, throughout all four Gospels, the, the term Son of Man is used over 81 times. It's also referred to in the Old Testament. Sometimes, uh, for instance, in Psalms, it would be simply meant to be human being, but it's also how God addressed the prophets in this way. For the Son of Man, in Jesus' eyes, it's not, uh, it's not, it's something that he didn't want to be called the Messiah because if he were to be called the Messiah, what do you think the other people around him, outside of the disciples, what do you think they would have tried to have done? What was the Messiah supposed to do? Restore, liberate, bring back order. And so Jesus says, instead of saying the Son of Man, I'm sorry, Messiah, he says, uh, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Using the term Messiah would have brought all of these connotations and maybe extra baggage that Jesus is like, wait, we can't, let's not, let's not get this train too far ahead. He didn't want to be misunderstood. But he points out the Son of Man must suffer. And he points out that Jesus would be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Were these people you should be able to trust and respect? Right. But when your authority and your position is threatened, what do they do? They try to undermine Jesus. They say all kinds of things. And as we'll find later, they try to get people to lie, to get their point. Not the right point, but their point. If we go to, to uh, chapter 9, verse 30, chapter 9, verse 30, there's a second time that Jesus predicts his death. And it says, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And you have to also remember, too, that the things that he's saying is considered blasphemy. He probably wants to stay outside just to be able to make sure that they're safe. But then he was teaching, and he said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will what? He will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. And so the disciples at this point, the second time he says that, they're kind of unsure, like, where is Jesus going with this? This is the second time he said this. They didn't understand. Again, another theme of the disciples didn't always get it right away. And it says they go on to Capernaum. They keep moving along. Jesus shares some other uh, uh, 
parables. And then we find ourselves in chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. And it says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to them. Notice he just takes them aside every once in a while. He's intentional with his teaching. And he says, we're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will, what? Rise. Amen? Amen. Three times Jesus indicates. Three times he repeats because he wants to make sure that they know what is about to happen. Of course, they're probably still trying to process this. Why, why would Jesus say this? This is nonsense. He is the Messiah. He's the one who's supposed to come into this world to liberate us, to free us from the Romans and whoever else, to set things right. But Jesus' way is not that of strength and overpowering. It's love. And quite honestly, Jesus just doesn't do what's normal. He always does it in a way that is different. As a lamb, he goes forth. So what are some things that we can take from this passage? Well, as I've talked about it, is Jesus moves with intentionality. What's important about intentionality? If we live with intentionality, what does that bring? Well, it helps provide structure. It helps us to have purpose. Sometimes when the path is not clear, it helps us to be able to move forward to help have uh, uh, something to work towards, to go with. Alan Cohen says, when your intention is clear, when your intention is clear, so is the way. At this point, does Jesus know where he's headed? Is the path clear? He is on his way. He is committed to getting to Jerusalem. I think there's a big lesson that we could also take from this is that in our lives, we should live with intentionality. Pastor, what are you talking about? How could I live with intentionality? Maybe there's things in our lives that we could benefit from by living intentionally. For instance, spiritually, how could I be more intentional of living spiritually? Well, let's decide, hey, maybe every day when you wake up or at some point, just spend five, 10 minutes in prayer. If this is something very new to you, start small. But as you, get, as you grow in your experience, add on more time. Instead of 10 minutes, maybe you'll find yourself praying for 20 minutes. Maybe you'll be praying your whole drive to work wherever you're going. Maybe some of you may find yourselves praying for hours. But how do I pray? Well, learn how to pray. We always know the simple prayer that we've been praying here in the Acts prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or making your requests known. That's a spiritual. What about maybe trying to make healthy changes in your life? Maybe starting to go for a walk for five minutes, 10 minutes, 
Everyone has to start somewhere. Maybe it's just actually getting up from the couch and going across or walking down the hallway several times. A family member of mine was uh, re recently had a procedure done uh, related to their heart. And this person had been able to lift heavy uh, prior to, especially when he was younger, he was really strong, could move. Now that he was older, all of a sudden, he had to start from the very basics. To him, a win was getting off the couch and literally walking down the hallway and back and sitting down. But you have to start somewhere. And as you get stronger and as you grow, pretty soon you could be walking or running a mile, five miles, a marathon, or an ultramarathon. I don't know why you'd want to do that. <laughs> that sounds painful. But start somewhere. Or maybe you want to try to get your life organized and maybe, maybe you just have a lot of stuff and you need to throw stuff away, get rid of stuff. Maybe start with three items or five items a day. In fact, that's what I've, I've actually told myself this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a commitment with, commitment with you all. Okay. I want to throw away or get rid of five things every day. I know Lisa's thinking that's not enough, but live with intentionality. So my question for you all in our reflection, as, as we're going through reflection, I'd like to ask our deacons and our elders to now make your way forward. Where in your life do you see the need for intentionality? Where are some areas that you can grow that you need to find purpose and balance to move forward? Finally, I want you to choose one task, okay, that you want to either improve on or just to help improve your life this week, decide how you're going to complete it and do it. I've already mentioned that I'm going to try to get rid of at least five things a day. And uh, by the way, if I don't say anything, hold me accountable next week after the service. <laughs> may this be a lesson. And finally, may you, be, may you also understand and be encouraged by the fact that God moved to Jerusalem with intentionality for us. Amen? Because if God didn't, we wouldn't be standing here, sitting here, participating in this ceremony. Father, as we now take a moment, just to quickly pause, Lord, help us to live with intentionality. And as we now uh, move on to the next phase of our, our service, Lord, may you be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Very quickly in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had a couple of disciples to go and prepare a room to uh, have the Passover meal. And so he sent a couple of disciples. And it's there that we now also do the same thing as a reminder for what Jesus has done in our life. And so I'd like to invite our elders to go ahead and pray for the bread and the juice. And afterwards, we'll distribute the emblems. Please also note in um, the trays for those of you perhaps who are maybe not quite comfortable with uh, taking an open juice and piece of bread, there are some prepackaged uh, pieces on the inside. And if you want to take those, go ahead. And if, you know, don't be afraid to raise your hand. If we accidentally miss you, we have extra. At this time now, go ahead. Uh, actually, we'll, we're going to stand. So go ahead. Let's pray. Father, on this holy day, we come to worship and adore you. And today we are celebrating the Holy Communion. We remember the sacrifice that you complete for our salvation and redemption.
Father, you gave us the treasure of heaven, your holy son, Jesus Christ. He is the true bread of life who gives us everlasting life because we believe. Father, bless this physical bread that represents the body of our Savior, your holy son, that for us was crushed in, for, in the cross of the Calvary. Father, we confess our faith that has no other name in whom we can be saved. Thank you, Father. We pray in his name. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the, the blood that you spilled for us, the juice that represents that today, that you have said you're not going to take part of until we're together. But Lord, we remember and we take part to remember what you did for us. It's a gift we cannot repay. Mm. It's a gift we can't even hardly understand. Your innocent holy blood spilled for us. But thank you so much for what you've done for us, for what we couldn't do for ourselves. May it that you be with us and that you bless this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the deacons will now go ahead and pass these emblems out. For those of you who have never been here for communion, we're going to invite those who would like to share briefly, I say briefly, an opportunity, a God story of how God has been faithful to you recently or maybe within the last two years because this is the first time we've actually been able to hand these emblems out. So very briefly, is there anybody who would like to share just a, a blessing uh, that God has uh, done in your life? that you'd like to share with the congregation at this time. Hello. Um, I just want to, to say uh, I'm thankful and grateful to our church and the prayers of everyone that, that uh, they have sent over to my family for the passing of my dad. And I just want everyone to know that my dad um, considered our church a very special place with lots of um, beautiful people that he loved. And... Um, and even though we didn't get our prayers answered for my dad that we wanted, um, I had a prayer answered for all those who were praying for my niece for her open heart surgery that she had a couple weeks ago. It was successful, and she's doing very well. She's not all the ones yet, but I just I thank everyone who's been praying for my family, and I thank God. Thank you, Natalie. All right, anybody else? Anybody want to share uh, a moment, uh, God's blessing? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I just want to thank the church family and um, everything that you've done for me, for my daughter when she passed away, and the peace that the Lord has given me in my heart to keep on going on and trusting him every step I take. Thank you, Debbie. Anybody else? Um, I just want to thank everybody for the prayers. Um, I'm not going to give the whole story, but um, the miracles that I've been bringing to my daughter, Linda, she has more of a story. But um, for my whole family, 
that um, and all the prayers and for this church has really been um, going strong even though with the pandemic and we're really blessed to be able to see this online so I just want to thank God and thank everybody for your prayers thank you Evelyn who else who would like to share a moment could I have one time for one more morning church family uh, I just wanted to thank God and my church family uh, this week was actually a pretty momentous milestone for me I made the final payment on my student loans um, so I want to thank you guys for your prayers uh, thank you for always encouraging me and for uh, helping me keep the faith so thank you guys and may uh, may you guys be blessed by it and may God bring it back to you in multiple times thank you Ethan all right, let's go ahead now and have our teams come forward. Many years later, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, having to kind of correct a few things about the purpose of what communion is, and that's another sermon for later. <laughs> Excuse me. But he says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what a wonderful day that will be when Jesus is reunited and we can commune with him every day. So may the Lord bless you, lead and guide you in all things. On a quick note, let's give our hand to our deacons and our elders. Thank you so much for making this happen. This is the first time we've been able to have our full communion experience. So thank you for making this an, uh, a wonderful opportunity. And uh, Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, anything that's on our hearts, the things that have been weighing us down, Lord, we give that to you because you are good and you love us. Have died for us. Amen.